Hello, this is a quick message from the production team. I hope you are enjoying the Illegally Speaking podcast. Due to the current COVID-19 link crisis, the next few episodes will be recorded through our video communication software. Thanks for your understanding and do stay safe. The episode will now begin. Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by David Jones, a well-renowned sports presenter working for Sky Sports and a non-executive director of Sunderland Association Football Club. He currently fronts the live coverage on Super Sunday and Monday Night Football. So a very big welcome, David. Hi, Robert. Good to, good to speak to you. Right, many thanks for uh, taking the time to to join us today. Um, you may not know, but on the uh, Legally Speaking podcast, we have an icebreaker question which is related to suits. But but given we've got you on today, I wanted to to mix it up a little bit, and it's on a it's on a scale of one to ten. So we thought we'd make it football related. So um, as our icebreaker for you, how um, successful would you rate on the scale of one to ten? the inclusion of VAR since it's been brought into the game on the scale of 1 to 10? Oh, blimey. Probably it's less than five, I would say. But I don't want to completely kill it before it's it's really got working properly. So maybe I'll say four. I think in principle it works, but the execution has not been good enough for much more than four right now. Yeah, I think that's a fair a, a fair judgment. A four is probably about right. Um, I should uh, I should point out I'm a I'm a Liverpool fan, so um, I know we've had a few decisions. So I'll, I'll be a little bit quiet about things. Um, well, this, uh, everyone everyone thinks they've had decisions that that have gone against them. So it's quite rare to speak to someone who thinks they've had decisions that that go for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I do want to start at the beginning because you do a lot within sport and, of course, business. So. For, for listeners, probably not so, they're obviously very familiar with you in terms of your Sky Sports, but let's talk about sort of a bit about your background before before Sky Sports. I, I always wanted to be a journalist. I'd had work experience from quite a young age in, in various forms of journalism, newspapers, television, radio, and was, was really feeling it out a little bit because I, I think I was very lucky in that sense that a lot of people don't really formulate their ideas on what they want to do, sometimes until after they've left university, um, and, and sometimes even later than that. So I was, I was very driven, very focused from a young age, and pursued a, a career as a journalist, uh, and tried to get work experience wherever I could. I did a, a history degree, then I did a postgraduate course after that uh, in newspaper journalism, uh, and it was, it was really a case of, of picking up elements of law, administration, um, basic journalism techniques, but also shorthand, which was which was something which was absolutely paramount. Certainly for those couple of years, I worked on a newspaper, and I, I worked. Uh, I did my my postgrad course in Sheffield, and I got my first newspaper job, my first job at all, at the Derbyshire Times in Chesterfield. Now that was a weekly newspaper, which I, I knew nothing of before I I went for an interview. Well, that is to say, I did some research the day, you know, the days leading up to it, and and on the actual day itself, I managed to get to the town early and did a bit of groundwork on Chesterfield and managed to get myself a little story. I can't actually remember what it was. It was something to do with the marketplace and traders, uh, and I took that to the newspaper and told them I'd already found them a story for their paper, uh, and I managed to get a job there, and, and it was a great grounding for me because it was. It was one of those places where you got to do everything, got to try your hand at every aspect of, of the paper. So I was writing stuff on, on politics and we had Tony Benn as our local MP. So I had early involvement with him. 
lots of crime because it was a, a huge, um, a hugely deprived area and, and still is North Derbyshire after the pit closures. Uh, so lots of socioeconomic problems, which, which generated a lot of column inches in newspapers and, and business sections as well. I was the business writer for the paper, so I had contact with a lot of local businesses and didn't really get involved in sport until my sort of last year there when Chesterfield managed to get themselves to the FA Cup semi-finals, which if you think now, Chesterfield are not even a football league team. I mean, it was extraordinary yeah. at the time. Uh, it was an amazing story, which a lot of people bought into, but they, they played Middlesbrough, uh, which is my hometown in the FA Cup semi-finals at Old Trafford. And I went there and, and uh, really wrote the colour pieces around the football rather than doing football reports themselves. But I suppose off the back of that, then the sports desk would, would lean on me at the weekend to, to help them out with match reports covering Chesterfield. So I got used to doing that as a sort of an aside and, and found that very enjoyable and probably enjoyed it more than the day-to-day that I was doing for the actual newspaper. So when it got to having qualified as a, as a, a fully qualified professional journalist, when you have to sit more exams after a couple of years, uh, then I was free really to, to go wherever I liked, free to, to move from the newspaper. And they were aware of that at the time, so they didn't try and stop me doing that. But I, I kind of thought my next job would be another daily paper, um, maybe like a, a bigger city like Sheffield or Bristol or Newcastle, something like that. Uh, but instead, I, I, I plumped for this advert, which I saw in the Guardian newspaper, which was advertising the launch of Sky Sports News, the first ever 24-hour sports news channel. And they were taking all comers uh, to do all sorts of different jobs. So I threw my hat in the ring, didn't hear anything for, for several months, and then was invited down for an interview, which I I turned up with an actual video of me out and about around Chesterfield, interviewing people at the football club, and then uh, Derbyshire playing in Chesterfield at that time, the cricket team. So I went and interviewed the head coach. So you know, I put all this together um, with the help of a, a colleague who had a video camera and a really basic editing tool, and you know, took that video VHS down to, to my future boss and um, managed to convince him that I was worth a gamble on. And it was a gamble at the time, you know, a lad from from the Derbyshire Times in Chesterfield coming to work for a big national uh, TV company. And um, yeah, my foot was in the door. Yeah, well, that's a fascinating story. And thanks for um, thanks for sharing that. And I love the, the sort of inclusion of the old VHS and all the little bits of sort of hustling you had to do a, a, along the way. So that's uh, really, really insightful. But just in terms of sport then, were you always into sport at school? Was, was football your main sport? I was sports mad uh, from, from a very early age. And... I suppose I, I grew up really with a cricket bat in my hand. That was my, my big passion and played, you know, nonstop with my brother, an older brother who's two and a half years older than me uh, in the back garden. Uh, my dad was cricket mad as well, also a big rugby fan, but he was less of a football fan. I suppose I found that naturally growing up in an area which was, which was big on football, as in the Northeast. We grew up just south of Middlesbrough and, you know, it was a big, passionate football area, that whole Northeast. Um, so you couldn't really escape it. So I think I just kind of fell into that really. And I was always obsessed with the statistical side of football in the same way that I was with cricket. You know, I used to carry a wisdom around and I used to collect the, the football yearbooks as well on an annual basis. And um, yeah, I mean, at school, I played everything. I was, I was captain of the cricket team for the district, um, captain of the school football team. And it was interesting at the time when I was coming through the school system, there were a lot of strikes. And so we didn't have many fixtures. And when we did, the the coach, the teachers were basically saying, look, we, we're not going to organize this for you. You've got to get yourselves organized. So 11 years old, I was picking the school team. So 
I had 100, I think it was about 130 boys to pick from at the school I went to. It was a, a mixed comprehensive school. There were about 250 in every year. It was a big school. So I was doing that and, and was you know, mad about that and really into my tactics at an early age, trying to, trying to work out if there was another system other than 442, which <laughs> I don't think I managed to find <laughs> that stage. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, lots of athletics and, and then uh, hockey as well. So I was pretty good at all these things, but, but not really exceptional at any of them, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, well, it sounds like you kept yourself very, very busy. So um, good to good to hear that. And you know, fast forward to to the modern day. You know, everyone would want me to ask. You know, it sounds like the you know the dream job, Sky Sports presenter. But just just talk us through what a what a sort of typical working week actually would look like, and you know, how much of a logistical operation is it to put on like a Monday night football show, and your involvement with that. Okay, so if I if I'm say doing a big Super Sunday, maybe in Manchester, which is is quite likely, or Liverpool, followed by Monday night football, my my working week would probably start on the the Wednesday or the Thursday. I try and uh, hold it back until the Thursday, and uh, then that's the process when I start doing my research. I'll start you know researching the game, researching the teams in particular, start building my um, my stats pages around those games. And we've got teams of guys that will, will pull together great documents of stats. And, and I will be very conscious about going through them and, and then trying to condense this vast information overload down into half a page of A4. I'll do that for Super Sunday. Then I'll do a separate one for the Monday Night Football. So that's sort of Thursday and Friday. Friday, I'll go into the offices at Sky, Sky Studios, and I'll have a couple of different production meetings, one with the, the Sunday team, one with the Monday team. And that's just to kick a few ideas around. Sunday at that stage is, is, is quite becoming quite set in stone. Even on a Friday, you know, we've got very strong ideas at that point, what we'll be talking about in the hour before the game. Um, and, and I'll be starting to think about potential scenarios for after the game. What if this team has lost? What if it's a draw? What if, what if that team's won? Um, where could these conversations lead? Uh, because I never want to be in that last hour of the program on a Sunday, scratching my head thinking, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about now. I'm always thinking of what's next. So, so Sunday will deal with itself first and, and Saturday then will involve travel. I coach my son's football team uh, on a Saturday morning. And then I will uh, basically get home, watch that game as much as it, I can, the lunchtime kickoff. And then I'm on my way, really, to Manchester or Liverpool. And um, my evening will revolve around, again, watching the evening game and, and then revisiting my scripts for the Sunday to see the impact of, of the Saturday football as much as anything. And then reading around the local press and just trying to make sure that every stone uh, has been turned and, and um, you know, I haven't left anything to chance. On the Sunday itself, we, we always meet for a production meeting at 9.30 and we'll rehearse around 10.30. And then um, we go on air at one o'clock. We're off air at, at 7.30 generally. And if I'm up in the Northwest, we've got to get back to London. So we'll generally catch a train. Uh, I'm getting back home at about midnight on Sunday night and then into the office for a production meeting at 10 o'clock on Monday morning. And, and you know, that's, um, you've got to try and uh, refresh your brain a little bit. So after a couple of hours of, of meetings uh, in which we're knocking around ideas for the show, challenging each other on, on what we want to talk about analysis-wise, I'll then go off and do some scripting again. Uh, and what I mean by that, I don't have autocue. We don't use autocue on our live football programs. Uh, well, at least I don't anyway. I'm not sure if others do, but... Um, yeah. 
I've got an iPad that I will refer to. I've got some ideas of things I want to say at the top of the program over certain pictures, um, things I might use going to breaks and coming out of breaks, that, that kind of thing. Then uh, I'll, I'll go off and have a spin with, with Jamie Carragher, spin class, and we'll, we'll blow the cobwebs away for an hour, which is a really important thing for me because it gives you a, a complete mental refresh. And um, then we're in the studio again. We're rehearsing at, at 3.30 and we'll have a little break at, at sort of half five for an hour and then suited and booted back in, made up 6.30, ready to go at seven and off air at 11 and home by midnight. So by by time Tuesday comes along, I'm, I'm, it's fair to say you don't get a lot out of me on a Tuesday <laughs> so, so as effortless as you make it seem on screen, from what I'm gleaming from that, it's a lot of hard work, it's a lot of research, there's a lot of things that actually go into it. Um, and, you know, coupled in with the, the travel, it's, it's pretty full on. But yeah, no, thanks for, uh, for articulating that. I think it's good for people to get an idea. But listen, there's loads of contentious topics around the world of sports at the moment, given we're in the unfortunate situation of the coronavirus. And, you know, notably... One of the topics, um, you know, that's been coming into discussion within the football world, of course, is around furloughing of their employees under the coronavirus job retention scheme. And, you know, what's your view on whether, you know, players should take a pay cut? And, you know, what more do you think football clubs could be doing for their local communities during this time? Looking from the outside, I'm really chuffed that they came up with this initiative by themselves um, for the NHS. I think that's a brilliant move. Um, they didn't have to be corralled into that. Those those plans were ongoing. They're in negotiation to do that. But you, you're talking about a lot of players that you've got to get, you know, physically to have these conversations at the moment. It's, it's actually a real challenge, and we're finding that at Sky right now. Actually, when we're trying to have any kind of conversations, it, it's it's very difficult to do um, when you're, when you're trying to speak to more than one person. So you know, they were going to do that. I think that's a brilliant initiative. Uh, I welcome what Southampton have done, which uh, is that a ten percent deferral. Which, are, which I think probably when you go through the numbers um, looks about right to me. I mean, it's, it, the thing is, it's a club-by-club club basis. So yeah. you could say the Premier League should be doing this, but it's a totally different thing if you're a League Two club and you're living hand-to-mouth. You don't have a, a billionaire benefactor. You don't have millions, a multi-million pound television contract to fall back on. You know, you've got none of that. So you, you literally are waiting for pennies to drop from the sky and um thankfully some have already but i'd be amazed if there are clubs that by the end of this that haven't making making the most of, of those uh, furlough possibilities now from what i've read today what i've seen from um the efl today i don't think we'll be seeing football before june here at the earliest because players have been told um, or clubs have been told not to consider training until the middle of May. So, you know, I think we're still a long way off. And for a lot of football clubs who who might have had multiple home games between now and the end of the season on, on which they relied massively upon the revenue uh, from the gate receipts, you know, that, that's a massive problem. So, so yeah. having come up with these schemes, what football needs to do is now make sure that money physically gets to these people. Um, because they still have outgoings. They've still got to pay their non-playing staff as well as their, their playing staff and come to the decisions which are right for their, for their own football clubs, not worrying what everyone else is doing. 
Yeah, no, well said, David, well said. And you've touched on it there. And if people that don't know, um, you are a, a Sunderland fan. And it would be great just to sort of tell us a bit more about your your NED positions. I know you were with Oxford United and now sort of currently Sunderland FC and what and what that sort of involves. Yeah, um, I didn't know too much about sort of life as an NED before the Oxford United role came along. And I was introduced to a guy who, who became the owner of the club, who, whose background was private equity. And, and, and himself, he does and, and, and did sit on a lot of other books boards advising them on on how they should be conducting their business and I actually opened up my eyes and and made me realize the possibilities out there and the impact that I could have uh, I was I was quite surprised at how quickly I was able to make a positive impact at Oxford United not just with um the, the background of contacts and the network that I have within football but also so the the communication skills which is a pretty fundamental aspect of it and of any successful business I would say uh, I don't think my skills are are purely um, suited for football. You know, I think they could be used across many different businesses, and that's something I've learnt in terms of leadership as well, and how you approach different situations. Um, the ability to speak to people is is something that I've probably taken for granted, but is but is actually <laughs> quite an important <laughs> skill within business. So, so I was able to use that at, at Oxford in a positive way, and got quite heavily involved in recruitment. I guess particularly. I also recruited, I was in the, involved in the, led the recruitment process for two different managers while I was at the club. And uh, I, I left, it was quite a natural time for me to leave because the club was taken over by a Thai consortium who uh, had their own ideas. And um, I wasn't really interested in waiting around to, to hear what they were in, in truth, because my role at Sky was changing at that time. And I was taking on a bit more um, responsibility with the Super Sunday and the Monday Night Football strands. Um, and then the connection with Sunderland, not just the fact that I'm a fan there, but um, the guys that, that run it, and some of the people would have seen the, the Netflix documentary, the guys in charge there are the Oxford fans. Um, so they knew of me, they knew of my work at Oxford from um, my time there. And it was just a, a case of the right time for me to go in. Um, I haven't been able to have the impact that I would have liked so far, but it's been a, a, a rapidly changing fluid situation in terms of the ownership because uh, the fans have, have asked the, the current owner, Stuart Donald, that he, that he find a new owner for the club. And that process is sort of still ongoing. So anything that I'd hoped to achieve had to be sort of put on hold. Um, and we wait and see how that situation's resolved, really. And, and this, this whole um, pandemic as well, before we can uh, start thinking about how we move forward again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Listen, the other point I was going to ask about is, you know, women's sports and football, it's very much on the rise, which is great. What more do you think needs to be done to getting that into more prime time Sky Sports uh, TV? Well, I think there is a competitive tender process, uh, which we were certainly involved in the bidding for and, and will be in future years. I mean, I can't speak for my bosses. I think we'd all like to, to see some of it on Sky, but, you know, they're the guys that are controlling the purse strings. Um I think it, it, you know, its its popularity is growing. It's there for all to see. Uh, what what more needs to be done? Well, I think it would be great if the England team could win a World Cup or a major tournament, and I think that would that would um, you know put it on the map even more um, and start being even more successful. I suppose we need to talk about it more as much as anything, and with more investment in it, it becomes more professional and and becomes more attractive as a result. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a legal podcast, so I was going to ask. If you could change or include one law in football that you think is missing, what would it be? I would like to see um, maybe in stadia, I know we're asking a lot of officials and, and um, ability to communicate at the moment, but if, if, if we could have sort of clocks on view in the stadia that the referees were acting on, I think that would be quite interesting. So even in the first half, everybody's aware that one minute has been generated because of X, Y, or Z. And at the end of games, rather than, you know, sometimes it feels like they're just picking a number from thin air. Um, we can see that build-up of time as the second half goes on, perhaps every time there's been a substitution or every time there's been a prolonged goal celebration or an injury delay, you see the clock going longer and longer. Um, that would be an interesting thing, I think, that would be um, yeah, the game more entertaining, certainly for those fans that are actually at the games. Yeah. Um, so in terms of some short, sharp questions, then you can't, you can't sort of dance around. Who's your favourite pundit to work with? Um, I'll never give you a straight answer on that question. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, I think that's they're all brilliant. <laughs> Very fair answer. Fair enough. Um, I think you, you alluded to it earlier. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan. So, you know, in terms of Liverpool being announced champions, you know, it's been 30 years of hurt. Do you think there's quite a long wait still ahead then? And do you see the season, you know, following its course? It's just a case of time. Or do you think things may have to be adjusted? My hunch is still very much that everybody, stakeholders, um, clubs, players, managers, are desperate to get this this season completed. Um, Now, the EFL have sort of said that that would take them 56 days, they think, from start to finish, including playoffs, which takes us, if it's going to be a June start, probably into August, realistically. So, you know, everything is going to have to get shoved back. I can't see a situation now where we're starting next season as it's supposed to, early in August, having completed this season, you know, I think something has got to change and we'll get pushed back. You know, if I was a betting man, I'd say we'll be playing behind closed doors football for for a considerable time before we see fans back in stadia as well. Yeah. And I I joked at the start about VAR, but there, there is an emergence of tech coming into every sector, sport, business at the moment. Do you think there's other technology that could be included into to football that's missing or you think we may see in the future or, or not? Uh, my, my hunch on that is that we kind of have to get this bit of technology right before we even <laughs> consider any other technology. And I still think we are some way off from doing that. If you think about how every different league and, and uh, every different governing body have their own ideas about how it should be implemented, then you know, until we're all on the same page on that, we can't consider anything else. But football's like anything. It's, you know, it can't stand still. It has to move forward. Um, so I would, you know, I'd imagine that, yeah, there will be more technology around the corner, but it's anybody's guess what that will actually look like at this stage. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out, you're a, you're a big advocate of LinkedIn and we were very kindly connected through that platform. Um, and thanks very much for taking part. And I know you were a top voice uh, for 2019 on LinkedIn as well. But for people perhaps not so familiar with the platform, do you want to sort of tell people a bit about that and sort of, you know, what you, um, what you get up to on that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a very different place to Twitter and Instagram, it's, it's somewhere where I'm expecting to be dealing with serious people generally who treat my input on there at face value and, and without sort of prejudice. And uh, it's, it, I'm, not, I'm not approaching it from really a football perspective, but what I did, I, I always had a longstanding sort of um, interest in it, I suppose, in, as, as a platform. And I suppose more and more, as people have found me on there, I've been asked lots of questions. So 
lots of students who ask my advice on on the route that they should take. Um, people who are starting out as journalists, wondering how they get to to sort of into a role that that perhaps I have or have had down the years. And and rather than sort of go around everybody and answer individually, because I do get a lot of these same questions that come through, I decided to sort of post a few vlogs on there. Um, and previously a few posts about the kind of processes that I go through, some of the, some of the things we've talked about here, Robert, um, and, you know, just sort of collate them in, in, in one sort of safe place, if you like. And, and I suppose I was amazed with some of the early posts, I'm going back last year, that were getting sort of 2 million views on there. I was a bit sceptical of numbers on, on these social media platforms. I think sometimes you can sort of brush over something and it counts as a view. But still, it, there was a lot of eyes going going onto it. Um, so I thought it, it does have a value. Uh, they did grant me one of their sort of top voices, which was which was nice. I'm not quite sure what it means, but um, they've also granted me live status. And I'm still really working that out because um, unless you're very clear, I think, or very regular in your sort of time slot, almost like a TV show, I think it's very hard to generate numbers to your live platform. Um, so I'm not sure whether that has got legs for me or not. I'll, I'll still be experimenting with it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I found it a, a really good place and I, I've met some interesting people through it and I've actually done some good connections, um, networking as well. So I've, I've got work out of it, you know, because I also, uh, do some work as an event host, um, and some interesting contacts have come through LinkedIn. Great, great. And the, we, we sort of joked about it again earlier as well, but as we look to to wrap up, do you think England could ever win a World Cup? I don't see why not, really. Um, you know, if, you, if you're being really selfish from a football perspective, I think the idea that we were, the Euros has been postponed for 12 months is, is not a bad thing at all. Because if you think about how young our squad is right now under Gareth Southgate and, and how much better hopefully it will be with another year's year's maturity I think that's really quite exciting because you get players like Harry Kane and Sterling really at their peak at that point um you get another year to to bed down a defense a central pair uh, of Harry Maguire again who's who's going to have had another year at Manchester United and and find him a, a really reliable partner whoever that is going to be that I think there's something to be sorted out with the goalkeepers. I don't think any of us were quite sure going into this one who was going to be the number one choice as a goalkeeper. Uh, you've got for me one of the best footballers in the Premier League, Trent Alexander Arnold, who will be again blossoming in, in a further year down the line. And all these exciting talents at the top of the pitch as well, the likes of, of Jaden Sancho, uh, Marcus Rashford, um, plenty of others who I can't think of off the top of my head. Well, the likes of Jack Grealish and Madison, I guess, where will they be in 12 months' time? Um, as footballers. So, so I think, you know, 12 months from now, the Euros is, is a realistic target. And then uh, if Qatar is, is still happening in, in 2022, then um, we'd go into that with a bit of momentum. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I'm an eternal optimist and I'm, I'm confident that I will, uh, I'll be there. I was actually out, unfortunately, in, in Japan for the Rugby World Cup, just gone. And it was uh, such a shame. The chaps did so well to get to that final, but it would be great to see uh, England do it in my lifetime. So uh, I've heard so many great things about 66, but it'll be nice to, to live through it. So I'm, I'm staying as an eternal optimist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I'm probably of the same. And the closer we get to these tournaments, the more excited I tend to get. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, David, from 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 all of us on the the Legally Speaking podcast, um, we really do appreciate you taking time um, out of your busy schedule to to sort of partake. We will also share the links um, with this episode with regards to. I know you're going to be setting up a, a Just Giving page as well, which um, the Legally Speaking podcast will be contributing towards for all the fabulous work that the uh, the NHS is doing during this tough time. But is there is there anything else you'd just like to say on that whilst you you've got the opportunity to? No, that's that's brilliant, Robert. Thank you. And um, yeah, you know, just to add to that, the the Q and A stuff that I've been doing um, over LinkedIn, I think there is something, there is potential around it in terms of if you're speaking to maybe half a dozen different people from from one business over Zoom, and they all have a chance to put their questions to you. I think it would be not just interesting for them, but also quite a nice uh, team building experience at a time when people are working from home, perhaps struggling for motivation and inspiration. Uh, I think I can maybe help with that. Yeah, most most definitely. Well, well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks ever so much once again. We look forward to seeing you on our screens when we are back live and hopefully the football season resumes. But, but thanks very much. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for having me.